Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, on today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Sherwin Deswinka. He's a senior underwriter from Calvert Mortgages. Sherwin brings a unique perspective as a former mortgage broker turned underwriter. I found it super interesting to hear how they analyze deals for their clients and how much support and coaching they offer to protect their clients from getting into a bad deal in the first place. Definitely some great information shared by Sherwin. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hey Sherwin, uh, great to have you here today on the show. Just wanted to ask you to maybe start off if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you're up to right now. Excellent. First off, thanks Corey for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm a senior underwriter at Calvert Home Mortgage. So basically review files, make decisions on whether to proceed with them to funding and also provide support to more junior underwriters to ensure they, uh, they do the same, you know, to approve the good ones and, uh, and not so much on the ones that don't fit our criteria. Awesome. And then how long have you been doing that with Calvert? Uh, yeah, I've been with Calvert for nine years. Prior to that, I was actually a mortgage broker for a couple of years. So that was my start in the industry. Got some knowledge. So I was on the other side of the mortgage type of thing where I was submitting to lenders and, and then seeing the outcomes of the underwriting. So got a lot of experience on that side of it. And then kind of just this was a better fit for me. So I decided to come to this side of the lending spectrum. When you're doing the mortgage broking, was it with a big bank or were you kind of on your own, kind of looking oh. for your own business? Yeah, I was actually with Invis, like on my own and part of a team that was with uh, the larger brokerage called Invis. So yeah, and you're looking for your own business and, you know, developing referral sources and really building your business through your own marketing techniques and stuff like that. Yeah. So it was a little bit of a challenge, especially for the first couple of years. And I only did it for a couple of years and my business was starting to go. But like I said, this was a better fit for me. So that's why I moved over to this side. I think that's great experience to have as well, right? Bringing it into private lending, underwriting. How would you say it's different? So like when you were dealing with a traditional mortgage and lending to what you do today? Yeah, you know, so on the broker side, you know, I didn't do a lot of private deals. So I didn't broker a lot of private deals. So I didn't have a lot of experience with bringing my deal to privates to see how they work through things. Uh, most of the deals I did were A deals, some maybe B deals. So a lot different. On the A side and the B side, there are very strict boxes to check off during your underwriting. I'm not saying that we don't check boxes as a private lender. We have a lot more risk tolerance. So our boxes or our ranges of criteria might be a little wider for allowance to move forward on a deal versus uh, some of the A lenders or B lenders. So a little different. The other thing too is private lenders a lot of them have niches, right? So they like certain things. So you have to really understand that market to know where to take your product or, or your mortgage, right? Your deal. So uh, at Calvert, we have very specific niche market, uh, which is that flip and burr program. So again, the type of deals in front of you, you got to know where to take it with respect to a private lender. Yeah, for sure. Now you guys, so you said flip and burrs, is there other areas too that you would do private lending on or is that outside your guys' wheelhouse? No, no, uh, definitely look at all types of private deals. When I speak about Flip and Burr, that's our bread and butter. That's our uh, best offering because we have a very unique product in that market. But we will look at 
equity takeouts, debt consolidation type of deals, you know, purchases, uh, interim, like when we say interim, you know, short term where someone's looking, you know, they just need us to help get it closed and then they're going to refinance right away or they need us to help close and then they're going to sell. So some sort of short-term purchase, interim purchase. We also look at construction type of loans. We don't do a lot of them just because the A side and the B side take care of that market for the most part, but we will look at construction. Oh yeah. And then bridge, some bridge deals where uh, certain lenders won't offer a bridge solution from uh, a purchase to a sale where we can come in and help out again, short-term. We do focus on the short-term. So those are the best ones for us where we have our highest approval ratio. So the flips, the burrs, the bridges, the interim purchases that are going to take us out fairly quickly. But again, we will look at all types of deals. Yeah, that's great. And now let's say uh, you got a real estate investor who is looking at getting involved in flipping. Could you maybe go through what they're going to need to bring to the table and how you guys will assess whether it's maybe a good deal or that kind of stuff? Yeah, I like that question. On our side, again, I mentioned we have a very unique product. So the uniqueness of our product is that we will look at the after repaired value versus the as is value. So we'll look at the property, we'll look at the current state of it, we'll look at what your rental plans are. We'll make sure that we get a good sense of that after repaired value. We will land with as little as a $10,000 deposit, well, I guess down payment, not deposit on the mortgage and allow the client to keep their funds to do the renovations and cover any carrying costs through the project. And then on the back end, you know, they're either selling it or they're refinancing it after they rent it out and holding it you know, as a hold property and they cash flow. So, so really one of our biggest criteria is to make sure that it's a profitable deal, either on the sale or if it cash flows and there's the ability to refinance it after they get the renovations done. So the uniqueness is really that smaller down payment, the ability to get into these deals with less down. For sure. How important is experience? So let's say I show up and I'm an accountant and I'm, I want to get in real estate investing. And I tell you, well, I really have no experience at this, but I know how to crunch numbers, you know, and I want you to fund my flip. How are you guys going to kind of view me as a potential client? I'm smiling because I think about it, it's like, like when you try to sing and someone says, don't quit your day job, <laughs> make sure you're qualified. So yeah, you know what? Everybody can do flips depending on how you want to be involved. So we have flippers that are just money people. They bring the money to the table and they have contractors that they work with that uh, will do the project for them. And then, you know, they'll sell at the end. And then there's other people that, you know, they put in the elbow grease, they do the work, especially some of the people that we see are contractors. So they have one trade, say they're an electrician or a plumber, and they've been doing this and doing renos or doing their part of a reno for other people that are flipping and they want to get into themselves. So they come to us and they say, hey, you know, I think we're a good fit because we don't have as much to put down, but here we can bring that side, the renovations, everything to this table. Because we know an electrician, we know a flooring person, we know, a, and you know, and so they can bring that side to the table. So really we work with a full gamut of investors, you know, all the way down, you know, from just the money to, you know, hands-on, you know, getting dirty kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And would you recommend, obviously it makes sense that if you're going to start in this and, or maybe like you're saying, maybe you have the experience from working on other people doing it. Now you want to take on your own flip. 
it's probably better to take on one that's more cosmetic in nature, right? That you're not, hey, we're going to move the staircase and we're going to change where the kitchen is and that kind of thing. What would be your recommendation for someone just to kind of get started in, you know, private landing and flipping? Yeah, you know, I love, we call them the lipstick and makeup, the cosmetic ones. I love those ones where you can get in, get out and make a good profit. There's not so many of those available. Once upon a time, you know, when the market was doing really well, you can come across those uh, a lot easier. I do strongly recommend if it's a new person to the market to start small, to not take on a $300,000 renovation. But, you know, and then on the flip side, there's other people that want to do that because often that's a little bit where there's a little more meat on the bone on those bigger renovations. So it really depends where you are. But when you're first starting out, take on a small one. You can never think through all the problems. You're going to come across something. You're going to have to work through that. So being a little smaller, you're going to mitigate some of those risks because there will be less problems. You'll be able to get in and out quickly. Time is money. So in flipping, no different than anything, you want to get in and out quickly if you're selling it or you know renovating and then refinance quick. So if you take on a big project and then you're, you get into trouble, it's just going to take longer. It's going to draw out. The market might change. All of a sudden values drop on properties. You know, then you're in a big heap of mess, right? So you really want to start slow. And yeah, I strongly suggest that to people. Yeah, for sure. Great advice. Now, when you're doing the underwriting, the age of the product or maybe the estimated life expectancy, you know, someone wants to flip, do you guys take that into consideration? So Let's say I show up and I'm like, oh, this is a 1925, you know, build and I want to do a cosmetic flip on it. Is that going to set off some red flags for you guys? Yeah. I mean, put it this way. So we want to see what the property looks like inside. We want to make sure that you're renovating it to the market so that you're competitive in the market. If you're saying it's just a cosmetic lipstick and makeup when, you know, it might be torn down the studs or it might be you know, totally outdated, you're not going to turn that around. You know, you're basically putting it back on the market the same way it is. People have to do a bunch of work to it, right? So you want to make it a marketable property. So we do look at those properties. We don't mind the shape they're in. We just want to make sure that you address any issues with the property. And we want to make sure that you're, again, making it marketable. Like one level deeper, we want to make sure that you're renovating it to the community. There's certain communities that don't need hardwood and granite, you know, that kind of thing. But there's other communities that if you don't do that, you're not going to sell it because people don't move to that community for lesser, right? So we also are going to look at your rental plan and we're going to make sure that it makes sense with where you're buying and, and trying to sell at. So that's great. How about, so you said you look at the plan. Will you look at kind of what the plan layout is as well? Will you go to that detail and say, okay, let's say I wanted to put in a suite or something. Are you going to kind of assess, okay, why did you cut off the room in this way? And, you know, do you guys go to that level and actually look at the floor plan, the final? Yeah. Yeah, we do. There's a couple of things. I mean, you talked about a suite, legalizing a suite. So we'll also take a look at, do you have the ability to, like, will the city let you do that? So we start there. So, okay, here's your plan. I'm going to put in a legalized suite. Okay, good. Zoning requires or allows it. Everything's good. And then a little bit deeper, when we're looking at the after-repaired value, so I have four colleagues that work directly with us. They're appraisers, but they work for Calvert, and they do that after-repaired value. And they will point things back out to us as underwriters saying, 
you know, this is good, but if they did this, we think they could get that a little more out of it kind of thing. Or not quite sure why they're doing this. It doesn't quite make sense for the community or, or for the type of property they're looking to end up at. So we do have that information and we will feed that back. We like as many details as possible, especially again, back to the community, back to, you know, the norms and what's marketable, you know, like right now, people like that open layout. So if you're buying a bungalow and you're leaving it compartmentalized, you know, how much marketability is that going to have? How many people want that type of property? So we might have those types of conversations and say, you know, have you considered this, you know, because here's what you're up against, here's what's listed right now, and you're going to look way different. You're going to have to take a haircut on your end price because of it, because you're just not as desirable as something else. So definitely we do look to that detail on the rental plan for sure. I think that's great and super important. I, I had to ask because I was just in a property as a realtor and, and I always do the uh, assessment as I walk through and they had a suite they had put in it, you know, fully renovated, but it was like a four level split and they really messed up the layout. So the lower level, it was just a, basically a one bedroom, one bath suite that you could rent out, but then the lowest level was totally undeveloped. So they basically lost two thirds of the house the way they cut it off. And I'm like, I'm just shaking my head. Like, why did you do this? And even in this market, who is going to put in an offer without having to move the kitchen, change the layout? And they just, all this space that they could have actually uh, used, they didn't. I, um, I stood there for a while just thinking about it and just how, if I were to have to take it over, what would I do? How could I do it as cheap as possible, even though I'm not interested in the property, but it's just a rental 101 fail. And, and yeah, I do see it, you know, fairly often, right? What I find pretty cool too, you know, obviously there's money cost to private lending. So if I come to you guys and I want to flip a house, it's not cheap. It's going to cost me money, but you also provide an education and protection. So you're because of your team and appraisers and underwriters, that's worth a lot in itself. You're not just, you know, here's our spread, here's the money and come see us in 60 days when you're done kind of thing. Right. I really like that. You guys actually, it's like coaching built into the program. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I say it never hurts to have another set of eyes on it. And a set of eyes like ours are, you know, looking out for best interest. I didn't say this earlier, and I meant to, and maybe I did, <laughs> now that I think of it, is profitability. So one of my underwriting criteria is to make sure that the borrower is going to make money on the back end. And we might disagree with the after repaired value that they come to us with. What I do know is we are a little conservative but we do a really good job at nailing down that after repaired value. And the reason why we know that is because we compare our value to the sale price, you know, and we look at those stats and make sure that, you know, we're not off so that we're providing that type of service for sure. You know, all the way again, back to the detail that we provide. So I'll look at the inventory. I'll make sure that, you know, you're not getting into a flooded market. I mean, Calgary right now, well, that doesn't exist. <laughs> Inventory is <laughs> right. pretty low. So, you know, you're getting into a good market. You're not going to have a lot of competition. We only use sales as comparables, but I like to look at active listings and have people understand, are there other renovated properties out there? And what do they look like? Like one thing, am I going to stand out? Am I the only two story in a community full of bungalows? And when people move to this community, they want to move into a nice, new, renovated 1,400 square foot bungalow, because that's what that community offers. And that's what they want. 
and then you put this two-story god-awful looking thing but it's fully renovated and then you charge because of your livable square footage a way higher number and then people just aren't interested because that's out of their price range even though the square footage dictates it but that's not what the community offers so even to things like that you really have to be careful you sometimes see that and you hope that you imparting your knowledge back to them you know gets them to just think about things like that i always say you never want to be the lowest priced or the highest priced on the market you want to be in that sweet spot in the middle you want to be competitive you want people to come and look at your property right that's how we you know feedback to clients for sure yeah super important and then location too right so obviously if you're on a street and you look around and it's basically a street of distressed properties do you really want to be the first fully renovated property on the street like that's right is that something you guys would also be looking at as well yeah like i mean here's the other thing so i i think about it in if you're gonna refi and hold it as a cash flowing property that bus stop right out front maybe isn't that bad of an idea because you might be renting out to somebody that doesn't have a vehicle and they really appreciate that. And then your renovations will be to a rental type of property. If you're though going to renovate high end because it's going to be someone's forever home and you have that bus stop right in front of you and your next door neighbor has, I don't know, a bunch of vehicles and like a junkyard. And then maybe there's a power line behind you. Like those are all factors that people consider when they're looking at buying. I know when I bought my second property, I didn't do it in my first one and I regret it. But my second one, I actually knocked on my neighbor's door and just asked some simple questions like, hey, basically meeting them saying I'm interested in this property just to get a sense of who my neighbors are going to be and then getting a sense of how they live walking around the neighborhood a little bit, like, you know, you walk around a neighborhood and you see every lawn has a thousand dandelions on them. Well, that sense of ownership, that pride of ownership might not be there. You go and renovate a property, spend a bunch of money on, try to get top dollar out of it. You entice people to come look at your property and they see that community doesn't take care of itself. Are they going to want to buy there? Right? So there's a lot of simple things, but you really want to make sure that your property is marketable, that the most people are going to be interested in your property. That's what you're shooting for. And you as a realtor know that, right? Like that's the key thing is like, what can you do and what can you control? And you can control where you buy a flip opportunity, right? Yeah, that's all great information you just shared. I totally agree. Like, so I've seen it where they, you've done a full reno and maybe the one neighbor on the left is, you know, reasonably taking care of the property. The one on the right, it's a bit of a, you know, there's a dumpster in the back. It's a mess. And, and then, so this beautiful renovated property with the kitchen window, you look out it and all you see is this distressed property. And that property will sit and sit and sit and have to do price drops for someone to finally move on it. Right. And it was just because of the one neighbor's backyard being such a disaster. Whereas, I mean, maybe a privacy wall, those type of things, some trees, something would have maybe just kind of made it a bit more private and, you know, helped with the sale. But, yeah. And I think as realtors, I think your job is hugely important because you can paint that picture like saying, hey, listen, like as investor realtors type of realtors, you say like, listen, yeah, that next door neighbor, you know, might not be that desirable. But if you did this, you could really enhance your property and ensure that the buyers of this property isn't aren't looking at that all day long. You know what I mean? So you can really 
help that buyer envision that end product and help them work through some of those things. I mean, some things you can't work through. Their realities, like I spoke about a, a power line, you know, there's a green space behind the house. Oh, that sounds great. But you get there and then there's this huge metal power line right behind you. You can't change that. And honestly, you know, I would always recommend people to stay away from that type of opportunity because some people won't care, but there's going to be people that care. And again, you're limiting your marketability by doing that, by trying to market something that there's going to be people out there that just won't even look at it. Yeah. And for sure, I think you're speaking more of a stable market right now in Calgary, you know, inventory is so low. It seems like people will buy almost anything right now. It's just this panic kind of going on, but it's not going to last forever, right? We're just in the yeah. in this bubble. Yeah, that's the thing, right, too, Corey, is today it's a stable market, but you come to me and you say, I have a flip that's going to take me about five to six months. So that's great. I love it. Like, have you thought through all that stuff? Like when you are ready to go on the market, are you going to be marketable? Because things might change a little bit. And all of a sudden there might be some inventory down the road when you're ready to list, right? So you still want to think through all of those items and make sure that when you're ready to go, the external influences aren't affecting your marketability. For sure. Yeah. Okay. I got a question. So let's say I show up, I want to get a loan. I show you my property. I say, look, I got a great deal. It's got a wood foundation. <laughs> what are you going to say to me? <laughs> you know, well, first of all, what's your strategy? Are you flipping it? Or are you burring it? Because refi gets a little sketchy because some lenders on the A side, maybe B side, but mostly A side is where you refinance to. Some A lenders don't like wood foundations. It's as simple as that. They just won't lend on them, right? So if that's your strategy, I'm going to ask you, did you do the homework and make sure that you do have a lender that's going to be able to take this out, right? Now, go to the flip side of things. You again are affecting your marketability because the person that's buying it, sans if they're coming in with a cash offer, they're going to need a lender to lend on it. So they're going to have limitations on who will help them buy that property because of the Wood Foundation. So am I going to suggest to you not to buy a property with a Wood Foundation? No. If it's for you and you're comfortable with buying that, I would probably suggest not to buy it as a flip property because it's a knock against your property and it's not the same as an air conditioner but i always think about <laughs> an air conditioner you're not going to get your money back out of your air conditioner that you put into it but if someone's looking at two properties and they like them both they're going to pick the one with the air conditioner so it just gives you that little boost so if you think about your wood foundation wood foundations are not bad depending on where some are bad so you got to do a little bit of research on that and make sure you fully are comfortable. But if there are two comparable properties, would somebody buy a wood foundation over a concrete foundation? I don't think so. So, you know, I like how you answered that. I totally agree. Personally, as a realtor and as for myself and my clients, I would avoid them. But if a property showed up and it was a screaming deal, the foundation was still in good condition. And there is still money to be made there. Well, I probably would still move on it, but it would have to be, the numbers would have to just be crazy good, right? For you to, to consider it, like you're saying, why not just go one house over and buy the one with concrete foundation? That's going to appreciate and you, you can get the lending on that kind of stuff much easier. You know, I'll, I'll add this to it as well. Like this is where we depend on your expertise, Corey, is 
I have some realtors that I, you know, work with closely and uh, have friendships with. So I'll just give them a call and say, hey, what do you think about a wood foundation, you know, in this neighborhood? Are they moving? Are you seeing them? So I try to get some insight from other industry professionals that know that a little bit better than I do. So we'll dig in to that extent as well, where we will uh, ask the people that really are experiencing it, that have the feet on the ground. And yeah, so like, I mean, I can't say my most profitable flip, but a good profitable flip was a wood foundation. And my first inclination was to say no, but I allowed myself to do a little bit of research and ask around. And I asked uh, one of our realtors that we work closely with, and she basically said, yeah, like, listen, those are moving. And I think this guy's getting a great deal and kind of convinced me to move on it. So yeah, so never say no. What we say here at Galvert is every property is a good flip property if you get it at the right price. Yeah, it, for sure. It's as simple as that. You can turn a lemon into lemonade if you get it at the right price. You just have to be able to do that, right? For sure, yeah. Just as a little story, I was viewing properties for a client that lives in Ontario and just going around and, you know, I have my sheet, I take notes as I go through. They're in Ontario, so I communicate with them as I'm going or afterwards. And on the listing, it said concrete foundation. Like it was kind of covered up. The foundation on the outside was flower bed, that kind of thing. So I, I was kind of wondering, I'm like, I don't see any exposed concrete. And then, so I got in the house and I used to own a home inspection company. So you rely on that experience and I get in there and everything's finished in the utility room and I get under the stairs with my light and I'm like, no, this is a wood foundation. And I thought, wow, in this market, can you imagine, because people are dropping their conditions. So they're going in, you know, it's not uncommon to go no finance, no home inspection right now. And it's been listed and, and marketed as concrete. And then you, the buyer, buy it, a wood foundation which changes its value, all that stuff. And if there was ever an issue, I just like, wow, this is a lawsuit waiting to happen if this changes hands. So I reached out to the realtor, let them know, said, hey, you better follow up and just, you know, I'd recommend following up with your client to get confirmation here, but this is a wood foundation. So, right. yeah. yeah, you have that experience, like how many people don't to go dig around a little bit and look for that. And then, but you're right. I mean, can you imagine what kind of legal ramifications that would have? Yeah, it's, it's huge because like, to me that's one of the bigger ones like you can see a retaining wall if it's leaning over it's cracked i mean if you look at the foundation generally you can see if there's cracks that kind of thing but that one is you know you do have to have a little bit more expertise typically to identify it you know it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars if you need to you know have a major repair done right have it replaced mm -hmm. yeah that's scary we're talking about flips does the strategy look different or the numbers the underwriting when it comes to burrs say over a flip the underwriting is very similar until the point of talking about the exit strategy. So exit strategy obviously is a sale versus a refinance. The refinance has to happen somehow. You have to be able to qualify for that. So I'm going to review your personal stuff a little bit different on a burr versus a flip, because I want to make sure that you're going to qualify for that takeout loan, especially say if you have or properties or five so far, and this becomes your sixth door. And you didn't really realize that your lender is not going to allow you that sixth door. You know, have you thought through strategies? Like, do you maybe need to put these in a company and then do a commercial type of mortgages? Or are there other strategies that like some mortgage brokers can take you to, to multiple lenders and solve it that way? But just making sure that that exit strategy is there. So have you thought that through What's your plan? Like, what is your mortgage broker's plan? So we really like when clients have that strong 
connection with a mortgage broker or their bank just to ensure that they've really thought through, hey, I want to add another one to my portfolio. What does that look like? Do I need to do anything on my side or just ensure I get it rented out at a certain market rents kind of thing? And does that even make sense? Like, can I even get that market rents with this property? You know, I see that often where people, they come to me and I ask them, what do you think you're going to be able to rent this out for? And they give me a, a $500 range. Well, anywhere from 1200 to 1700 I'm like, 1700 qualifies you for quite a bit more than 1200 <laughs> So, So which one is it? Like, you know, narrow that down and get tight on your number. So you fully know that what you're going to be trying to get and that that number then allows you to qualify for the takeout. So we would analyze it to that level when it's a burr versus a flip. Yeah, that totally makes sense because the strategy is completely different. When you flip, you don't have to requalify when you're done. You just, you know, you're looking to make that profit. Um, yeah, exactly. For sure. Now, what if an investor has picked up like a vendor take back mortgage or agreement for sale? So they're not really on the title per se, but they've picked up a property and now they're going to maybe just, they want to look for financing to do the renovation flip. Will you guys take that on as well? So we're a mix. So mortgage investment corporation, we only lend mortgages. So we do need to lend to a title holder or holders. So that's part of it. So if someone's buying the property and they will go on title, then definitely we're interested in that. Sometimes though, we get a purchaser of a property and they have a JV partner in the background and that's okay. In our flip deals, we want proof of funds to get through the project. So, you know, show me that you have your down payment. Again, we can do it with a small down payment, but do you have the renovation money? Do you have carrying cost money? So show me that you have that money. And sometimes that money comes from a JV partner and that's okay. And we would just want to make sure that that agreement or that arrangement is tight so that the JV partner all of a sudden just doesn't disappear. And then you're stuck, not able to complete. So that's part of it. Sometimes people bring other assets. Sometimes they bring another property that have equity in it and we can lend additional funds against that other property to help them do the rentals themselves. And then the other thing too, is we don't necessarily only need cash. Sometimes people have a great HELOC on a current residence that has a bunch of room on it and they'll use that to do the rentals, get it done. And then once they sell, pay down their HELOC. So there's a lot of ways to finance a property. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but you know, when there's an investor involved, he can be part of the deal, you know, on title or be kind of a silent in the background, but we will want to make sure that they're truly involved and they're not going to walk away with their funds. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I kind of want to circle back to the flipping thing because I meant to ask about the spread, so margin. So let's say you guys are looking at a deal and it is, you know, maybe a quick turnaround. And then you obviously you got realtor fees and the cost of the borrowing, that kind of thing. And what kind of spread would you say is a good spread? And when is it when you would say, oh, well, there's just not enough skin on the bone here for us to take the risk and really for your time either? Like, is there a number you could kind of give me? Yes, I can give you a number with a caveat. <laughs> with a qualifier. Right now, our minimum profit is $20,000. That's a really low number when you're looking at a six-month renovation that's $250,000. <laughs> no one's going to do that. So those tend to filter themselves out. We don't even see them when there's not a lot of profit. 
on a long term. But more importantly, what I like to look at is that return on your investment. So one of the first ones I ever did here at Calvert was uh, purchase for um, three hundred twenty thousand. They did twenty five thousand, twenty to twenty five thousand in renos. Their carrying costs were about ten thousand. So they're all in about 350, 355. They ended up selling it just over 400, I think 410. After realtor fees, I think they made about 23,000. If I'm doing the math incorrectly, I know the profit was about 23,000. They got in and out of it in about two and a half months. So when I looked at what they put into it, they put in their down payment was 10,000, their renos and carrying costs were 35. So they put about 45 in. And they got 23 out in two and a half months. So your return on your investment is about 50% just straight up. But if you annualize that, say you took that same 45,000, say you did that four times with that same money and made 23,000 on it in a year, like your annualized return on investment is like 200%. It seems weird, right? But that's the reality of it. If you can find that. So that's what I really focus on is what are you putting in not only your financially, but your time, your effort, how long is this to turn around? What does that look like for you annualized? Because like, if you're doing this full time, and you're only making, you know, you do two projects in a year, and you only make $60,000 on them, and you put in all this sweat equity, and all this effort and you put in all this money and, and all this and it returns 60,000 in a year for you. Is, is that really what you want to do? You know, so we have those types of conversations, but you know, we don't need to usually because that gets filtered out usually by itself. Like people realize it's just not worth my time and effort. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So let's say I pick up a property. I think, Oh, this is a smoking deal. And I come to you and it's a, townhouse, but it's in a condo association. How are you guys going to view that? Do you look at maybe is there a special assessment, that kind of thing? Or will you not even touch it? No, no, we don't mind those, especially townhouses, because there's a lot of churn on townhouses. A lot of them need that update. We will do a full condo doc review. There's a list right on the offer to purchase, the condo offer to purchase. That's the list that we're reviewing. We are going to make sure that there aren't any special assessments you know, because that affects your marketability. Bottom line is we want to see what could possibly come across your property's title down the road. I mean, there's some condos that are not very well managed and there's some big cash calls that go out to clients. And if you're a potential buyer and the seller's, you know, not clearly disclosing that, the special assessment hasn't happened yet. So it's not going to be disclosed on the estoppel, you know, you're only going to find that when you start digging into the meeting minutes, into the reserve fund study, into the current budget, the current finances, that's where you're going to see those shortfalls and see that there might be a cash call. So we're going to review it to that level and we're going to give that feedback. I'll give you a crazy example. Townhouse type of properties, looking at it, and this was Grandma and grandpa downsizing from their single family detached they lived in forever, moving into this townhouse, have this great view of the mountains. This is in Calgary, great view of the mountains. They put in an offer conditional of the financing. They had an external source review their condo docs, got a clean report back from them. 
we reviewed the condo docs and saw that half of the townhouses were actually sinking down the hill. <laughs> Crazy. And, and it was very evident. So the fact that somebody got paid to review them and didn't point this out to them was absolutely ridiculous. Like I went back to the client and said, listen, like, did you know about this? And we started sending them the information, like, here's what we're looking at. Here's what we're reviewing. They were flabbergasted. They couldn't believe that they had paid somebody and got a report that had nothing on it. They walked away from the deal. Luckily, they had a financing condition. Um, luckily, they found another opportunity and we still got to help out on it. So we killed ourselves because we killed our own deal. But really, in the end, we could be stuck with that property and sucking up a huge special assessment. So it's not in our best interest to land out on properties that might be compromised like that as well. Yeah, for sure. I saw that I had a townhouse that I was selling for a client in Ogotoks. It had multiple special assessments, building envelope issues, but I feel like they were on the upside now. So, you know, it really lowered the value of the property because there were so many special assessments. And, but I felt like they're on the upswing that most of the issues have been dealt with. But as a flipper or a property investor, depending on where you are on that swing, I mean, you could have been, if you would have bought it two years earlier, there was like three special assessments that came their way, right? Uh, so it would just been a loss. Yeah, for sure. Again, they're scary. So don't say no to condos, but really clearly look at condo docs. One other thing that stands out with condos, especially when you're renovating, make sure you read those bylaws. Make sure you know that you can actually renovate to the way you want to renovate. One that stood out to me, again, apartment condo this time, send in their renovation plan, and then we're reading the bylaws. And so they're replacing everything with hardwood and doing a bunch of different things. And then you read the bylaws and it says that you can't put hardwood in these properties and not naming any names. The bad thing was, is this person was an industry professional. They didn't take that time to put those two together and know that their rental plan couldn't even be executed. It's unfortunate, but again, we're protecting ourselves. And then in turn, we're protecting the clients as well by doing that type of review. For sure. And your condo doc review, is that in-house? You got someone that will do the condo doc review in-house? Yes, yes, we do that. I've looked at a lot of condo docs over my time. I don't tend to do much of that anymore. We have other, you know, underwriters or, or USAs. We really do it ourselves as underwriters. We have some support that they will look at it and they'll bring things to our attention and then we'll do a high level review on things. So yeah, but it's all done in-house. We trust what we do. Uh, <laughs> we've been doing it for a long time and we have a really uh, robust process to get through the condo docs and what we want to look for. So yeah, so really another value add back to the clients that another set of eyes on the property itself. 100%. Yeah, also on all the, you know, the, the association as well, obviously, in that case. Yeah, exactly. Like one thing with Calvert from day one when I started here is, you know, look at a property and review it like you're lending your own money on it. And if you wouldn't lend your own money on it, do we really want to lend our money on it as a mech? So that's stuck with me from day one. And that's really how we underwrite. Yeah, that's great. And now what about home inspections? Are they required? You know, in this market, some of those conditions are being dropped. They're going to flip a property. 
do you guys need to see a home inspection report or what happens if they want to buy that property without even getting an inspection? Yeah, you know, sometimes those are tough. It really depends on the current state of the property. Sometimes we get really clear indications from the listing if there's any issues. Sometimes it's a defect that needs to be disclosed and it's right in there, you know, like a foundation is whatever cracked or whatever, right? So sometimes we will ask for certain documentation based on what's on the listing, or maybe we're privy to receiving an appraisal and there's mention of that or just pictures. And then, you know, yeah, the second bedroom in the upstairs had a fire in it kind of thing, you know, and then you start asking those questions, you know, is there any integrity issues? You know, if it's bad enough, we might even go to the level of asking for uh, some sort of, you know, an engineer, a structural engineer to get in there and sign off on it. So it just depends on the scenario. We don't necessarily require a home inspection. We tend to trust our view of the property and ensure that we ask any questions with any issues that we see in it. So that's not a requirement, I guess, is really what I'm saying. Probably, and it also comes down to if it's an active property investor flipper and you know that they know what they're doing, there's probably that understanding and comfort level that they know what they're buying as well, right? Can handle any sort of like things that may go sideways. 100% or they've been through there with their, some of our flippers are actually engineers themselves. (laughs) So you get their set of eyes on something and you firmly trust that they've sussed everything out. Some are brand new. I mean, I had an example in Calgary and where the basement was literally deteriorating. The the slab was deteriorating and actually washing out from underneath where there was literally a hole in the basement. And yeah, no big deal. This is what we're going to do. And I'm looking at the pictures that, <laughs> that were submitted and I'm like, I don't think you guys have done enough. Like I want an engineer in there to make sure that the foundation's not just going to crack and whatever, right? Yeah. And they were new. And so it came down to the experience of the people and the view of what I was seeing. And I I just didn't feel comfortable that they did enough to ensure that they weren't going to have a big cost after the fact. For sure, yeah. Just ask for extra information. One thing I was thinking about is like a sewer line. So in 1950s, early 60s, you know, the Orangeburg pipe, right? That could be a $12,000, $15,000 repair bill that, you know, if I buy a property without knowing what it is, what the condition is, I do the flip and I'm like, well, I'm going to throw it on the market. And then my buyer gets the video scope done and it turns out, you know, that it needs to be replaced. Like there's risks there as well, right? Yeah. You probably as a realtor in Calgary market know just as well as I do that there's certain communities that are higher risk of that than others. Obviously, a newer community, you're not going to worry as much about that. But there's certain communities that you do that. There's no reason not to. It's a $300, $500 cost that could save you huge money down the road, could help you sell your property. Like, hey, here's the scope. Like literally give it to the new buyers. We've done this or we scoped it and here's what we replaced. Like, so you can use it as a selling feature because you've already done that work for them. They don't have to worry about it, right? So just depending, but yeah, definitely those types of things are really important for people to know. I have a bad example, not in Calgary, but an Ontario deal where client bought a property as a flip, did all the work, literally just about to put it on the market and started having 
like never used any of the plumbing because they were fixing, they were renovating, replacing all the toilet, replacing everything. So they did all that work, then used these items a couple of times and go, it's backing up. And then it's a huge insurance claim. Luckily, they caught it and they were covered by insurance. So they fixed it prior to putting it on the market. But it was a cost to them. It was a cost against their insurance. So there's ramifications of it regardless. And actually, they're in a fight right now. They're actually suing the seller because it was a known defect or so they think. There's ways that I know that you can kind of, if it hasn't been disclosed, you're supposed to disclose this type of item, right? On a transaction. But I know that there's situations where people have called, well, the city. So sometimes the city will keep a record of Calgary if, if they've been there to clean the line. And if they haven't, doing a Google search and talking to some of the cleaning companies to say, have you been to this property is another way that people have figured it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's worth your money. I heard the other day that it was a $275 cost to scope a pipe. Is that it's, true? Like you might yeah, that. it's around 300 typically is what I yeah. would estimate. Yeah. That's so minimal compared to what it can cost you down the road, right? For sure. Yeah. Because not only is there the line replacement, but like you're saying, what happens when it backs up and then it turns into a $100,000 deal, right? Yeah. In this person's case, they were grandfathered. They had certain size of things and certain materials. When they replaced it, though, they were no longer grandfathered. They actually had to rebuild into the house as well because of some of the stuff was no longer allowed, no longer code. So they had a bigger cost than it should have been due to that as well. And the cost on the house part was not covered. It was wow. just the cost to replace that. That was in Ontario, you're saying? In Ontario, yeah. yeah. I haven't heard of anything quite like that here in Calgary, Alberta, because typically what the builder would do, even in the 50s, 60s, they would use a cast iron pipe and yeah. so the, the main stack was cast iron and they would actually under the concrete and they would stub it outside the property, maybe two to three feet. And it would be all cast iron. That section would be, then the city would allow them to decide what they would use from that point to the city connection. And that's where we run into the Orangeburg, that kind of thing, uh, you know, tar paper products, right? Basically the builder was saving some money. This is a cheaper product. I'll put it in and, you know, someone else deals with it down the road kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Scary. But yet the city of Calgary obviously would never use it. So where it actually ties into the city, they have a much better superior yeah. product, right? So it was yeah. just that one run. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because that's always your first step, right? You hope it's at the city side. So you go and you tell the city, you know, I have a problem. They come and they say, yeah, it's not anywhere that we cover. <laughs> it's <laughs> on your side. And then it's all either your insurance or your cost, right? But it's always the good starting point is let the city come see what they see. And if it's their stuff, they'll take care of it. For yeah. sure. Well, Sharon, we're just wrapping up here. I'm going to ask you a couple of just quick kind of more personal questions. You've really shared a lot of great, valuable information for the listeners. Uh, it's been awesome. I could just sit here and just ask you questions for another two hours if I was allowed, <laughs> if we had the time, right? So personal one, what type of things do you like doing outside of uh, underwriting? Outside of the office? Uh, <laughs> I do a lot of golfing or I'm trying to do a lot of golfing, just starting obviously this year with a little bit of colder weather. So, so do that, like to travel, like to, uh, I have a daughter that's going to school down in the States that I try to visit fairly often. I'm going to see her next uh, weekend, May long weekend. So things like that, just stay in touch with family and get out and enjoy the, the weather when I can. 
for sure. Yeah. And do you have a movie or a book you'd recommend? Yeah, I saw this in your questions. A movie or a book I'd recommend. My favorite movie of all time is Goodwill Hunting. Just like the premise of the story and the, you know how he got out of uh, where he was working through some personal issues. So that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Book is uh, I'm a fan of stats and stuff. So Moneyball is one of my favorite books that is obviously a movie as well. But I really appreciate the way that's broken down. And then you can apply it like being athletic and growing up with, you know, sports and stats, you know, seeing those people that were born earlier in the year succeed because they get more reps, they get more opportunities. So anyways, that's one of the books that I really enjoy. Yeah, that's a good one. And where's somewhere that's basically like a bucket list uh, where you'd like to travel, but you've never been? <laughs> you know what? I'm Ukrainian. That's on my bucket list. It's going to stay on there for a while until that gets settled out. But definitely Eastern Europe. Go see where my roots come from. And yeah, visit there and, and see what it's all about. For sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks again, Sherwin, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you for having me. I uh, It was great going through things. And obviously, you're very knowledgeable. So this was a great conversation to have about this type of investing for sure. Thank you. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a master home inspection certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893. 2272. Follow me on Instagram at Peckford Corey, or my website is CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short. Please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.